Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. As you're seated, if you would open your Bible app or the Bible you brought with you or the Pew Bible in front of you to Job, the book of Job in the Old Testament, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, is where we'll be reading from today. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. On the day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, Satan also came among them to present himself to the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. And then Satan answered, skin for skin, all that people have, they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he is in your power, only spare his life. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job, from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a potsherd and with it to scrape himself, and he sat among the ashes. Now Job's wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now Job's three friends heard of all these troubles that had come upon him, and each of them set out from his home, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nehemathite. They met together and to go and to console and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes and threw dust in the air upon their heads. They sat with him for seven days and seven nights on the ground, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we gather this morning once again at the beginning of a week, to seek your truth, to seek your guidance, to seek your direction for our lives. And so as we worship you, as we pour ourselves out and focus on you, may we hear what you say to us today. But more so as we gain strength for the week to come, may we go forth with your words in our ears and in our hearts and may we live them out with our lives. 
to be not just mere hearers of your words, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So it's not uncommon after a natural disaster for us to think about loved ones that we know in the disaster area and to call and check on them, right? Now sometimes we are a little geographically challenged like a friend of mine, he lives in Asheville and after a hurricane sort of glanced the outer banks, his mom called to say, are y'all all right after the hurricane? It's 500 miles, but it's okay. Her heart was in the right spot. She called to check, or maybe in a group of your friends, when you realize that one of them has been in crisis and you haven't heard from them, you call out to your other friends and say, have you heard from old so-and-so in a while lately? See, these kinds of behaviors, this idea of checking up on each other, I mean, it's part of this is neighborliness. Part of this is sort of politeness. But I think really what it is, it's sort of embedded in who we are. It's a manifestation of, of what it means to be in a community, to be in relationship with each other. I mean, it's a part of who we are. It's been that way since the dawn of time. It's part of our, I guess I would say, our social DNA. I think mean, back when God created all of the world, remember that God created humanity last, and when God created humanity, he watched humanity walk around and he says, you know, it's not good for them to be alone. I will create a companion. This need for community. See, we're meant to be in relationship with each other. And so it's been like this, and we sort of get this at one level, but we never realized it to its fullest extent, did we, until about two years ago when the world shut down and we all retreated to our caves. Now, for the introverts in the room, for the first two weeks, this was like heaven on earth for you because you didn't have to mingle with the rest of us. For extroverts, this was a challenge we said, you know, it's only going to be a couple of weeks. This will be fine. You know, it's only going to be a couple of weeks. Two years later, we're still talking about it. Uh, but it's okay because we'll be fine. But remember, after a couple of weeks into a month, even the most introverted of us said, I miss people. So we concocted ways to get together, you know, the Zoom cocktail party, which is a bizarre thing until you've lived through it, Right? Or then there was the, let's meet up at the most unlikeliest of spots where you would ever find me, the Walmart parking lot, and let's sit around in our cars with our windows down and just catch up with each other. Because we desperately needed community. We needed to nurture, we needed to nurture those relationships. We needed to see each other one-on-one. -on -one. I needed to know that you were okay. You needed to know that I was okay. That was what mattered, right? So the things that we learned about ourselves the last two years, it sort of feeds into that bumper sticker, right? The bumper sticker that says, make sure your friends are okay. These words remind us that it's not just polite, it's not just neighborliness, but it's really an extension of our faithful living to check on each other and to make sure that our friends are okay. But there's another question that lurks out there too, isn't there? When you call to check on your friends and to make sure your friends are okay, here's the other question. But what do I do if they're not okay? Huh. What do I do if they're not okay? Well, maybe if we look at the, at the story here from Job, 
looking back in the Old Testament, going all the way back sort of to the early stages of God's relationship with humanity, we begin to see maybe there's a model for what we can do, how we can be members of the body of Christ when our friends aren't okay. And what happens in the story, right? God is in heaven and sort of having a review of all the heavenly angels and all the beings in heaven. And all of a sudden, Satan just sort of finds his way into the crowd. And God says, wait a minute, how did you get here? And they got in this intense discussion about creation and about humanity and about whether or not, you know, humans were faithful enough, whether they really loved God enough. And, you know, God said, well, look at Job. I mean, Job is my best one. Job will do no wrong. I mean, Job will never betray me. Job is faithful. And Satan says, give me five minutes. Five minutes and I can change your mind. I can show you that Job is not faithful. Now God probably said, didn't sort of poker face this, but God's probably chuckling inside. He goes, I'll take that bet. And sure enough, he turns to Satan loose on Job. He says, you can do anything you want to do, just don't kill him. And so Satan visits his horrible stuff on Job. I mean, he's got these sores, these lesions. He's sort of scraping with a posture, and he's sitting in ashes. His life is just falling apart all around him. And Job's wife even ridicules him and says, won't you betray God now? And Job says, oh, no. Because with God, you take the good and you take the bad because God is good. I mean, there's a sermon in its own right there for us, but that's not what I want us to look at today. I want us to look at what happens in the lives of Job's friends. I want you to focus on the actions of Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. Because even as Job is remaining faithful, he's still got all this calamity in his life. And what do they do? They hear that Job is not okay. And they come to him. It says they tear their robes and they sit in silence with him. See, I think their actions can teach us a lot about how we should react, how we should act, how we should be in ministry to our friends when we find out that they are not okay. Yes, we should check on them and see if they're okay, but when they're not, that's when really we need to go to work. We must respond, especially when they're not okay. We must give them gifts of time. We must give them the gift of humility or sympathy. We must give them the gift of listening. I mean, that's what Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar did, right? They did those things. It says in verse 11, each set out from their homes, and they met together to go and to console and to comfort him. I mean, in doing so, let me tell you what they did. They stopped their lives. They put everything that they were doing, all their projects at home, all their projects at work, for whatever they were doing, all their free time, they put it all on hold and they traveled a great distance because their friend Job was in need and he was a priority to them. And what I love about the text, it, said, it didn't say that they just invaded his home willy-nilly. It said first they left their homes and they met together and then they went to see Job. See, in doing that, what they're really doing is they came up with a plan. They met together to come up with a plan of how they could best take care of their friend who was not okay. It reminds me of what happened in the village one day when Jesus was, had come to town and he was healing and they 
he'd gone into someone's home and people just packed the house. I mean, they filled it because they wanted to hear his teachings. They wanted to see his healings. They came for their own healing. And it was so full that it was shoulder to shoulder, wall to wall. No one could move. The fire marshal would have had an absolute conniption fit. It was so packed. Well, these four friends had a friend that was paralyzed. And they said, the solution for our friend, the way to make him better is here in town. He's at that house. Let us go. And so they picked up the stretcher and they carried him. And they stood outside the door and they thought, there is no way we can part the crowd. So what did they do? They did the most amazing thing. Blood, sweat, and tears. They climbed up on the roof of the house. They cut a hole in the roof and they lowered their friend down right in front of Jesus. I mean, they did what you and I would do, right? They were brilliant. I mean, they brought him right down in front of Jesus. Jesus couldn't help but heal him because he was right in front of him. And he did so because, one, he was a man in need, but, two, he saw the love his friends had for him because he was not okay. See, actions like this are not unlike some of the great actions, sort of the things that make us give hope for humanity. It's things like a classroom full of school children that shave their heads because one of their own is undergoing cancer treatment and has lost his or her hair. Or it's like co-workers who decide that for the month in which it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, they were all going to wear pink every day in some form or fashion in honor of a co-worker who is fighting breast cancer. Or folks who want to mourn with one of their friends whose mother's passed away, and the mother said, now listen, when you do my funeral, I don't want everyone wearing black. I wanted bright colors. And so as the, as the, as the child of the deceased tells their friends this, guess what? The sanctuary looks like a bag of Skittles, not a dark color in sight. Because they had come. They had come to share that. See, that's that gift that they come up with. Because these friends had realized that there was such a need. So they had come. So here's my question for you. Here's my homework. You've got in your bulletin right there, there is a lot of white space. Now some of you are probably going to put your grocery list on there or you've already started it. Mark it out. Not the grocery list, but carve out a section. What I want you to do is I want you to write down the gift of someone who needs your time, who needs your humility. Because that's what really happened. When you think about this, when Zophar and Bildad and Eliphaz, when they came in, they gave them all their time and stopped what they were doing. They came with a game plan. When they saw Joe from a distance and they tore their clothes, they weren't just you know, making a statement that says, oh my gosh, you look so terrible. No, they were trying to sympathize with him. So who is it that needs your time and needs your sympathy? Write down the name of that person. Hold on to it. Because you see, when they did that, when they gave their time, they were doing the good work. They had gone to their friend in need. They had sympathized with him. So who needs a phone call? Who needs a visit? Who needs a continued effort of care to be organized? Who needs you to come and sit and pray with them, to cry with them? 
Write down their name. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But here's the other thing. They gave that gift of time, the gift of humility, of sympathy, but they also gave the gift of listening. I don't want want to miss this. I don't want us to miss this. Because so often we're confronted with crisis, we don't know what to do. Sometimes just, there's nothing for us to do. Sometimes there's not a roof for us to dig a hole into. Sometimes we can't shave our heads. Sometimes those things aren't appropriate. And it's in those times of crisis we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do. And so sometimes to make ourselves feel better, we say awkward things. Like in the midst of grief, when we go to the funeral home, we might look at the casket, we might say, doesn't she look natural? Because we don't know what else to say. Or maybe we say something when it's a young person that's died, well, maybe God needed another flower in the garden. We think that we're helping the ones that are wounded and are hurt, but really we're just trying to make ourselves feel better in our helplessness. But look what it says in verse 13, what Job's friends did. As I said, they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. That's a long time to sit on the ground. Seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw his suffering was great. They sat with him in silence. For seven days and seven nights, they sat there just listening, letting him wail, letting him outwardly process, letting him talk, letting him mourn his pain in his own way. Remember, this was not about them. This was about Job. It was about listening to his pain. It was about listening to his grief, about listening to his needs. And that, my brothers and sisters, was the way that they helped him be okay. Look at that name on that piece of paper or those names that you just wrote down. Is that someone that just needs you to listen to them? If not, is there someone that needs you just to spend some time and listen to them? Who needs you to come and sit with them in the silence, in the storm that they are in? and just be present. If it's not the person on your list, write that other name down. A couple years ago, there was a publication that did a contest. They were running a contest to find out what was the best definition of a friend. And you can imagine they got all kinds of responses. Everything from, oh, it's someone that brings me nice gifts, it's someone that brightens my day, someone that they're just a joy to be around. It's someone that checks on me from time to time. Oh, it's my friend from high school that we've known each other ever since childhood. But this was the answer that won. And I love this. A friend is one who comes in when the world goes out. A friend is the one who comes in when the world goes out. So check and make sure Your friends are okay. But look at that list of names in front of you. That name or names. That's someone for whom the world has gone out in their life. So offer them this. 
Offer them the gift of your time. The gift of a coordinated effort of care. Offer them the gift of your sympathy, your humility, where you go to them and you just pray and listen and sit with them. Offer them the gift of listening. Where you have no agenda other than to be with them. Because the world has gone out and you can come in. My friends, that's what they need. They need a gift from God. And that gift, my brothers and sisters, is you. The world has gone out. So enter in. Sit with them. Listen to them. Give them your time. Give them your heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings.